Our scripture this morning, as we continue on in our series on heaven, is from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so please don't think too much less of me uh, in this moment. Uh, but I, I have a, a favorite part of this time of year. My wife says I'm mean. She's right. Um, but we always get one Christmas card in particular from some old friends that is just painfully awkward. And like, they're not trying to be funny, but it is like, you know, they're often like dressed in costumes, sometimes inappropriately. Um, they're posing with their pets. I mean, it is, it is really, really bizarre, okay? And they're not, again, they're not trying to be funny. It's one of the highlights of Christmas for me. I always look forward to it. I can't wait to get out to the mailbox and find it. I try to save it every year, but Kelly won't let me because, uh, you know, she thinks it's mean. So, uh, but you've probably, you've probably received some of these. Maybe you've even Googled awkward Christmas family photo. If you haven't, you're going to later, even maybe when the sermon gets boring, uh, you're going to do this. Uh, but like, Try it sometime. Here's a favorite of mine. I love this one. I think I've shown this one a few years ago. And I always, like, whose idea was that, right? I mean, I have a hunch whose idea it was, but, you know, anyway. Uh, it's awful. Or, or here, here's another, another favorite, uh, the trend in uh, family pajamas, which, by the way, is a terrible idea anyway. Some of you do that, I know, but at least don't take a picture of it, right? It's awful. Like, and just to be fair, I've been in some terrible photos in, in my life as well. Here's, here's one of me and my family a long time ago. Yep, over there on the left. Uh, and actually, this other one is my favorite because it really tells you a lot about how I grew up. Let's see it right here. Yep. It, it, it tells you a lot about my upbringing, doesn't it? Uh, so yes, okay, there's some, there's some bad ones out there. But what if, I, what if I told you that heaven is going to look a lot like one of these awkward family photos. Would you still want to go? And I don't, I don't mean that we're going to be dressed in like weird costumes together or, or spend our time in regrettable poses. That's not what I mean. And, and frankly, if you do this to your family, you're probably not getting into heaven anyway, okay? Um, so I don't, I don't think we need to stress too much about it. But like... <laughs> Heaven will be one big, awkward family reunion. Oh, come on. Really? Because, like, if I'm honest, like, when I tend to picture heaven, it's me, of course, I'm there, and it's my, my family and my friends, right? It's the, it's the people that I want to spend eternity with, right? So it's people who, who think like me, talk like me, who like the same shows as me, who laugh at the same jokes as me, who vote the same way, right? Who, who have all these things in common. People who think I'm funnier than Reed 
and better looking than Patrick, right? That's who I want to spend eternity with, right? I want to surround myself forever with people just like me. And we kind of have this mentality that it's like, you get a heaven tailored just for you, and you get a heaven tailored just for you. <sighs> Sounds kind of nice. But it's not reality. In fact, the reality is there will be people in heaven who have hurt you, offended you, disappointed you, frustrated you, argued with you, let you down. There'll be people in heaven who, for some of you, you wouldn't want living across the street from you. Who you wouldn't, you wouldn't let your kids play with their kids. People who grew up in maybe a different neighborhood, a different part of town, or a different country, or with a different language. People that you actively dislike. And people that you passively avoid. And if that doesn't excite you about heaven, maybe it's you who won't be there. Because the reality is, and our big idea for our time together this morning, if you take just one thing with you today, I hope it's this. Heaven is going to be like one big awkward family reunion, okay? Awkward, uncomfortable, at least, at least from this vantage point, right? From this perspective, heaven will be like one big awkward family reunion, but you'll love it. Okay, but why are we talking about heaven at Christmas, right? I mean, who's dying? All, all of us, first of all, right? This is the direction we're, we're headed. And Advent, you see, Advent is a season of, of longing, right? Of waiting, of expectation. It's waiting for Jesus to come, not just as a baby, but finally and forever as king, here as our king. And so we're, we're taking this Advent time. Advent to ask together, what are we waiting for ultimately? And so if you're here with us this past couple of weeks, week one, we looked at Jesus's words in the gospel of John, that heaven is a promise. Like, I know it's hard to believe, right? I know it sounds like some pie in the sky fairy tale, but our belief in heaven is rooted in the fact that Jesus himself promised heaven to us. He promised it to us. And then he died and rose again to show us that life after death really is possible. Heaven is God's promise to his people. Week two, we talked about the place of heaven. Like, where is it? What's it like? You know, we have all these, uh, these preconceived notions and, and that, it, that it's not some spiritual realm where we just float around on clouds playing harps. We don't grow wings. It's, nothing, it's not like that. Heaven and earth actually become one. That's, that's where it's all headed. That heaven is coming here. Like this but unimaginably better. Today, we're talking about the people of heaven. Who will be there? And what will this eternal community be like? And so if you haven't already, turn to Revelation chapter 7, because we, as we peer into these words, we see pretty quickly that, that God is gathering to himself a big, awkward family. A big sort of cosmic party of all kinds of people. And it's beautiful. And so the first thing that we see in Revelation 7 is that heaven is for Jesus' family. That's the first thing. Heaven is for Jesus' family. That's who gets in. 
Okay, so if you're curious about that, it's not, it's not good people, right? Decent people, people who are like me, right? Or like you, right? That's what we often think of. It's, no, it's, it's people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so, like, look at verse 13 in, in chapter 7. There's a, there's a question, right? Uh, for where have they come? It's a good question, right? As, as John is looking in on this sort of heavenly scene, who are these people who have gotten in, right, is his question. In verse 14, the answer is they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they all cry together with one voice, right? Verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, so what we see here is like, church, like Jesus, uh, uh, heaven, heaven is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Like the picture and revelation of those who get in are only those who cry out to the Lamb. Because heaven is for Jesus' family. Like he's the one who promises it to us. He's the one who enables this place. And so it is for his family. It is for those who cry out to the Lamb, Jesus for salvation, who are washed in the blood of his cross, naming Jesus as their king. And the whole testimony of scriptures is that you can't, you can't earn your position there. You, you can't be born into it. It's not grounded in who's naughty or nice. It has nothing to do with nationality, ethnicity, ideology, or culture. Jesus wants a really big family. And this is how you enter that family. By grace, through faith in Jesus alone. And heaven is the place where all kinds of people sing with one voice, one song to the one lamb. Because heaven is for Jesus' family. But that means literally anyone can get in. Anyone. How do you feel about that? Which leads to the second thing. Jesus' family is not what we expect. Jesus' family is probably not what many of us expect. Again, I, I tend to picture a very self-centered heaven, right? That's, I mean, it's sort of natural. We do that, right? We, th- we think of it in those various sort of, this is what I want kind of ways. And so if I'm honest, like I picture, I picture heaven, you know, at, least, at least the first day, it's like some, some great picnic. We're all out on the front grass, you know, we're all social distancing, not because there's a virus in heaven, but six feet just feels right, right? And so as I, as I scan this, like this heavenly imaginary crowd, if, if I'm completely honest, like my default imagination is that, you know, everybody there is essentially dressed like a 21st century suburban American, okay? That's, that's, that's the clo- the, the language that I overhear is English, mostly spoken in a Midwestern tone, right? I, I see, you know, people who are generally financially well-off tend to be fairly educated. White is the majority culture. And if I look closely, for some reason, they all tend to look a little bit like this guy, right? Yeah. They all just look like me, right? It's a place of clones. It's terrible. Now, now listen, like not only is this idea, this imagination, not only is it completely self-centered, like it's theologically completely off base. And it shows how ignorant we can be when it comes to history and geography both. Chances are people like me are going to be the minority in heaven. You and I, most of us, 
will be minorities. In, in some way or another, even if it's just education or economic status, right? it's going to be a little uncomfortable for some of us. Look, look again at chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, think about this for a moment. I mean, this is, this is an amazing picture because what, what it shows us here, this little glimpse it gives us, is that heaven is not a place of sameness, tailor-made just for me. Heaven is not colorblind, nor do we all begin to speak one vanilla language. Like, think about it. Our God so values culture, ethnicity, language, and diversity that these things do not go away in heaven. Instead, they're glorified forever. And the early church knew this. In some ways, they knew this a lot better than we do. Because uh, most, most of us here in this room, right, most of us are probably Gentiles by birth, okay? That means we're not part of the, the Jewish culture, the Jewish nationality, Jewish ethnicity. That's not who most of us are. We're Gentiles. And so we, we are the original outsiders in the, in the family of God. And, and don't forget that. We, we, we often, I often do. Like, often when we read our Bibles, we automatically identify with Israel, when we read our Bibles. And there's, there's some reason for that, and it's, it's, not, it's not a completely off base, but first we have to recognize we're actually the foreigners in the story. We're the outsiders, the outcasts. We're more like the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the Babylonians and the Romans than we are with the Jewish people. Except that we have been grafted in by the blood of Jesus, by the cross, we are the ultimate outsiders who have been brought in to this incredible family of God. And in the first century, this was absolutely radical. In fact, many scholars, one of them in particular that I've recently read, a guy named Larry Hurtado, he's actually in heaven with Jesus now, uh, but in his, in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, which by the way is like the best title of a book ever, um, he, he points to the, the ethnic diversity of the early church as one of the reasons why Christianity was so attractive in the first couple of centuries, because no one on the planet had ever seen anything like it before. The Jews and Gentiles hung out together, ate meals together, worshiped God together. And it led, like if you've read the New Testament, it led to a ton of awkwardness, right? I mean, think about it. If you, if you go through and look again at the, the letters that Paul wrote to individual churches in the first century, so much of what he's dealing with is the awkwardness of bringing people who, who he wouldn't normally hang out, bringing them together, of Jews and Gentiles, of the, the rich and the poor, slave and free, all in the same room worshiping God together, like a lot of what he writes about is this sort of awkwardness, this, this discomfort that was inevitable. And this was always part of God's plan. From the first book of the Bible in Genesis, when God calls Abraham and says, you're going to be a blessing to all nations, to now at the very last book of the Bible, this scene in Revelation, when all nations are brought before the throne of the Lamb. Because God wants a big, awkward 
family. Yana Connor, she writes about this specific text in Revelation. She says, God didn't make their new heavenly bodies monolithic. He didn't make them all blue-eyed with fair skin or cocoa brown with curly locks. He allowed their ethnicity to pass over from the temporal to the eternal. That's how much he values ethnicity. That's how much God loves it. There are a lot of implications of this, right, church? I mean, for example, some of us may not have a lot in common with the majority of people in heaven. Most of the people there will have never seen the Home Alone movies. Most of them will never have ordered a Christmas gift on Amazon. Most of them will have never eaten at Chipotle, never been in a plane, never been to college, never retired, never spoken English. Instead, many will have lived their entire lives in poverty, suffered racism, political injustice, and lived on the margins of society. You know, just a moment ago, uh, Reed mentioned our, our relationship with Rwanda and the Shira Diocese there. And a few years ago, I had the privilege of going and, and being a part of that team there in Rwanda. It was an amazing experience. And I mean, I just, I'd love to go back. It's just incredible, incredible people. Um, but I was, I was, I mean, as you can probably imagine, I was the min- minority in every room I walked into during that entire experience. And at times, that made small talk a little bit difficult, right? And I'm not very good at small talk to begin with. And so it's like, okay, you, you grow bananas. Awesome. I've seen a banana. I mean, that's like kind of, I, it's, it's, it was hard for me. And yet it was so beautiful. Because we did have one thing in common. And you and I may not have a lot in common with the majority of people in heaven. Except for this, Jesus. And somehow that will be enough. Heaven will be like one big awkward family reunion, but I promise you'll love it. Okay, so heaven is for Jesus' family. That's number one. Number two, Jesus' family is not what we expect oftentimes, at least not what we imagine. And third, the family joy is beyond what we can even imagine. The joy in that space, communally together, is beyond what we can imagine. I know, I know, like it sounds uncomfortable, right? To some of us, I, I get that, but we were made for this. Look at, look at 7 verse 15 how, as John continues. It says, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Imagine that. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. I love that imagery. The lamb is their shepherd. Think like, isn't that amazing? And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So imagine that, okay, church? Like, imagine for a moment the people who have hurt you, annoyed you, disagreed with you, disappointed you. I mean, some of you have been deeply hurt by others, right? Sometimes by Christians. It happens, right? And yet, somehow, like, those things will be forgiven, will be reconciled. Wrongs will not be swept under the rug. 
And yet somehow they will be made right forever. And for, for those who, who make you feel uncomfortable or insecure, right, or, or ashamed, those things will be replaced with mutual respect, love, and empathy. Not sameness, but shared joy and diversity. And we will be reunited with all believers from all places and all times and be in community with them forever. Families who follow Jesus will be reunited. Friends. We, we, I mean, we long for this, don't we? This, this is a huge longing. Even, even as we think about entering this Christmas, one of the most difficult things this Christmas is that for some of us, we cannot be with the people we love. And that you feel that ache, but even like go one step further. Some of us have lost people we cannot be with people that we love this Christmas, right? We ache for those we've lost. I mean, I, I miss Lois and Clara and Gwen. And there will be a lot of empty chairs this Christmas. Or I think, I think about the funerals I've been a part of here over the years, together as a, as a family in this space, right? And I can't wait to talk again with James and Jill and Nancy and Patricia and Theresa and Randy and Jack and Derek and Dana and Jeff and Faye and Bob, just to name a few. And I think we will, we will know each other and be known by one another in ways that builds today. Listen, you won't just recognize your loved ones. You will finally see them for who they really are. And they will see you for who you really are. And somehow it'll still be okay. I love how Scott McKnight puts this in his outstanding book, The Heaven Promise. If you want to study more about heaven, if you read just one book about heaven other than the Bible, this is the one. Uh, It's called The Heaven Promise by Scott McKnight. So good. But he writes, he says, we will know one and all as friends. We will know people for who they are and for what they have done. The formerly ignored and invisible will be highly visible and impossible to ignore. And the anonymous will be famous figures impossible to overlook. For all who follow Jesus, family and friends, former strangers and former enemies, heaven is the place where we are fully known and fully loved. And church, isn't that the definition of joy? And I want it now, right? Like I, want to, I want to experience this now. But we're not there yet. And so what can we do about it, church? Well, let me mention just three quick things, three ways that we can practice heaven even today. Okay, three things. First, first, you've got to embrace the family now. If you want this forever, you need to start today. And it starts here with your church family. Church, this is like church is where we practice heaven, which I know for some of you maybe sounds ridiculous, right? Because you know how messy church is, right? You, you, people are pain, aren't they? And sometimes church is boring, maybe even right now. I mean, I, I get all that. Probably sounds like completely ridiculous to hear a pastor say that this is where heaven begins. This is where we practice. I know, I know, but this is where it begins. 
Like if you're, if you're a Christian, church isn't something you go to, it's something you are, and you are going to be stuck with these people literally forever. And so whether, whether you're here today or you're worshiping with us online, this is a small taste of eternity. Commit to this family. Commit to the believers in your life. Don't, don't drift away. I know it looks different right now. Keep, keep investing in these relationships. Practice heaven with us. Embrace the family now. That's the first thing. Second, embrace the awkwardness now. Embrace the awkwardness now. There are people in your life that you will be with forever that you should really just go ahead and forgive. You should just go ahead and apologize to you. Like, why, why wait? Why put it off? Do it now. You're going to spend eternity with them. And as, as for diversity, right? Diversity of all kinds matters deeply to God and it matters forever. It is not trendy, right? It's not just something we talk about in the 21st century because it's, it's kind of a hipster thing to say. No, it is eternal, right? We see that picture in Revelation. It doesn't go away and it should matter for us as well. One day, most of us will be the minority, and we will be the minority forever. Perhaps a little bit more empathy with the minorities in our world today, right? For some of us, a little more empathetic. We need God's help, don't we? In fact, our, our cultural connections team is hosting a prayer gathering immediately following this service. So in between our, our two services this morning, to just simply ask for God's help. And you can, you can join us just, just to pray, God, how do we do this? In all kinds of diversity, right? Not, not just ethnicity, all kinds, right? It's difficult for us. How do we begin loving and welcoming people who are different from us? Not to mention those who have hurt or disappointed or disagreed with us. Like I know, like this is going to blow some of your minds, okay? You're not, not going to believe me, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? That you are going to spend forever with people who, with Christians who voted for Biden and Christians who voted for Trump. You will be with those people forever. You just, you're about to walk out, right? You can't imagine that. So why not, like, start listening to and learning from and loving each other now? Like, why, why wait for that? Start embracing the awkwardness. It's going to be great, church. But we've got work to do, don't we? That's the second thing. Embrace the awkwardness now. And finally, embrace the joy now. Embrace the joy now. The only real joy in life comes through relationships. You know that, don't you? Not social media, relationships. Not binge-watching the next show. Relationships. And listen, I say that as an introvert, okay? I love my alone time. Some might even say, I don't like people, okay? I get that. And yet the older I get, and perhaps one of the greatest things I have learned over this season of COVID is how real joy is in community. And the longing that I have to be with the people that I love, right? To, to be, be with those, like, that's, that is where joy is. Everything in life is meant to be shared. 
And the greatest delight we can have is through knowing and being known. It's real, real joy is laughter with friends, right? It's, it's dinner with, with your family. It's, it's serving those in need. It's listening to those who, who just need somebody to listen and, and be encouraged by, right? It's, it's telling and retelling each other the stories of who we are, doing that together. And yet here's the brutal truth, and you know this. Every relationship ends either through some breakdown or geographical limitation or death, every relationship you have will end unless unless this story is true, unless Jesus holds to his promise, unless he really did come out of the grave alive. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Instead of ending, our relationships can last forever. Instead of getting tired, they can get better forever. And if you want that for your family and friends, if you want that for your neighbors and your coworkers, there's only one who makes it possible. Look again at, at verse 10. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. That's Jesus. Heaven will be one big awkward family reunion and you'll love it because Jesus is at the center. And he is the one who invites us. He's the one who enables this kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. His is the joy that fuels all other joy. For the thing that you want more than anything else in the world I'm convinced of this. You want this more. You can't find another tree. You can't buy it. You can't fake it. You you and I want this so desperately. We want to be known. To be seen for who we actually are and loved anyway. That's what we want, church. That's what I want more than anything else in the world. And here's the thing. Jesus does know you. All of you. Every part of you. And he loves you anyway. And if that's true, then we can know others as well. We can be known by others without shame, without judgment, without fear, only delight, known and loved. And church, that is heaven. Let's pray. Father, I long for this. God, even as I speak these words, I I ache for what you have in store for us. We, I think we all do. And so I pray that as we wait, you would help us cultivate a little bit of this, even just a taste of this now. And the relationships that we form and the communities that we commit to and, and the people that we reach out to in our forgiveness and our uh, apologizing, our reconciliation or just... God, the people that um, maybe have hurt us or the people that we feel uncomfortable around, God, I pray that you would do that work in us, that we, your church, would be different, that we'd be known by our love and that we would anticipate all that you're going to do in and through us as a result. We pray this in Christ's name.